Hey everybody, I'm John Cooperman. And I'm Tom Hunter. And welcome back to another episode of Code Planet's Nebula Podcast. Today we are going to be talking about ES6. Uh, actually, John, it's ES2015. Yeah, we're going to be talking about ES6 and ES2015 and all the stuff that goes into uh, the new, new JavaScript. Um, which is kind of interesting because I think some people have started pointing out that it's really more of a new language than an update to the language. Uh, how do you feel about that, Tom? Uh, I think that's pretty accurate. Um, previously, when we went to ES3 to ES5, uh, you know, we added a few extra globals, but the syntax didn't change at all. Uh, this time, the syntax is definitely changing. And uh, so, if you load up a new ES6 file in your ES5 browser, you're going to have it's just not going to work. Yeah, syntax errors. Yeah, so maybe going back a little bit with history. So ES uh, is, stands for ECMAScript, mm-hmm. which is the actual language specification, which is like something I remember being really confusing when I was learning JavaScript. So the I guess the way that it works, right, is like this committee of people called the TC39. They get together and they write this specification for a language. So they write like, oh, you know, arrays should have like this map function and here's how it should work. Uh, and then they have this whole complicated process, right? And they, like, vote on things, and things get adoption and all that. Um, and then, eventually, they come out with this, like, final specification for, like, ES5, right? And so that's not JavaScript. That's, like, the ECMAScript committee, right? Uh, and it's ECMAScript. Um, that's the standard. And then the way that it's implemented in the browser uh, is what we've kind of come to know as JavaScript. It's, it's kind of confusing, though, because... It's not like all browsers implement the same things the same way. Yeah. Um, which I think has been like kind of a lot of the pain point of the past. Yep. Yeah, each, uh, each browser will kind of have their own interpretation of the specification. Right. So I think like one thing that's cool with ES6 is that I feel like the world around that community is a lot better. Um, like I feel like the browser vendors get together a lot more often, that they're all more invested in the language and the future of the language, uh, and like keeping things consistent. Yep. Um, I believe the spec is actually um, getting more specific as well, like what to do in error cases, um, how can you more properly adhere to the spec? Yeah, absolutely. And, th- and I think that it's become a much more of a community effort. You've got like a lot of companies across the board participating uh, in the spec now, whereas maybe before you only had, you know, a few companies and a few, you know, full-time people. Yep. So, so that's kind of what we're talking about. So ES6 is like, you know, they do these things in numeric order uh, as they come out with a new you know, standard specification. None of them are backward incompatible in the sense that, you know, ES1 code is still completely valid uh, today. Um, But they do, they are forward incompatible uh, in this case where ES6 is adding a lot of new things that you just can't support in ES5. Um, And then to make things a little bit more complicated, they skipped ES4. Yeah. Right? So you had like you had like one, two, and three. And three is like most of the core fun by three is like most of the core functionality that we know today. Um and then they had four and and like the way that I've heard it is kind of it was like this whole just like political mess, right? Like something went I don't know exactly. They had like they had a lot of like big plans and things that they wanted to try, and I think people were like fighting about trying to make some breaking changes and then other people were like really yeah. against that. I think four ended up, you know, a lot of stuff that was in four is what, you know, six and seven 
Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. There was like a JavaScript jabber episode with Brendan Eich, who is the original writer of, you know, what is now JavaScript. Uh, I think he had like a, a really good story about like back in the day and like him and Douglas Crockford and like people at um, like Mosaic or Netscape or whatever and like kind of fighting over the future of the language. I don't know that history probably as well as I should. But so like basically what we're talking about here is you had like one through three and then four died, never got implemented. And then five is now what we all know as modern JavaScript. So six is all these brand new things that are being added. Um, and I think the other big thing that I just kind of wanted to cover is they're, they've all, kind of everyone's gotten together now and vowed that they're going to do this like train style, you know, release a year. Um, and so that was like this kind of big discussion where for the longest time we had been talking about ES6. Uh, and then they decided since we were going to do these yearly releases, it would be apropos to name them based on the year they were coming out. So ES6 is now officially known as ES2015. Yeah. Um, and I think my understanding there is that it's like just a big push to the browsers, right? Like, so if you're like behind on ES6, that's kind of arbitrary, right? Like, it's like, oh, who cares? It's not even done yet. But if it's like getting near 2016 and you haven't implemented all of ES2015 yet... You're, like, definitely behind. Uh, that's my understanding, anyway. I think uh, they also take a cue from, like, C and C++. So, like, I think C, you can get, like, C11, C98. Mm. And those are uh, two-digit years. Oh, okay. That's cool. Maybe we should do that. I don't know. Um, so, maybe we can talk a little bit about some of, like, the big features that are in ES6. Uh, just to kind of give people an idea of what... Either stuff they've already heard of that they've been using, or stuff that maybe they didn't know how to do, or that they could do. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, one of the most obvious new features is the fat arrow functions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in JavaScript, uh, especially in Node, um, you're doing a lot with callbacks. Um, you know, you want to perform some work in the future. And um, each time you have a new function declared, it's got its own new scope, you know, its own new this. Um, and so a lot of times you end up doing, if you want to access uh, data stored in the parent, you're going to do one of two things. Either you're going to bind your new function, uh, or you're going to declare a variable. That's when you see var self equals this. And then within your callback, you'll do stuff with self. Uh, but these cool new fat arrow functions, they do the bind automatically. And um, you don't even need the word function. So just yeah. uh, you know, double parentheses equal greater than curlies and then you got a new function yeah so they're really nice so yeah i think there's yeah that's great there's like two big parts to them right like one is they look very different they look really clean um where you would just put your uh parameters in curlies or i'm sorry in uh in uh parentheses yep. um and then you have like, like this equal and greater than to make like an arrow uh, it's actually cool too because i believe you don't even need the parentheses if you only have one parameter um, yep. So if you just have the one, you can do it. So they look great. Uh, it's really nice because I think as soon as you start using them, you'll realize how funny it looks to have just this arbitrary word function all over your entire code base. You know, like yeah. you'll start like on my text editor, I've started recognizing the color that it gives to that word, and I'm like, oh man, there's purple everywhere. Like why? You know, why am I saying this? Like, um, and especially like at work, we use Scala a lot, and Scala has functions this way. Um, it's just really clean. And then, yeah, the second one is the taking care of, like, what what you often want as your this context. Um, so it's really great if anybody's ever had trouble with, like, losing context in a set timeout or something like that. Uh, if you, instead of passing in the word function, you pass in a fat arrow function, you'll get the parent as context. So it's really nice there. 
Um, cool. So yeah, those are great, and they're a big noticeable change for sure. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Latin comps? Yeah. Um, so in you know ES three ES five, uh, whenever you declare a variable, um, you only get to change scopes within a function. And so now within ES twenty fifteen, if you use a let or a const to declare a variable, um, you're now scoped to the I guess outer set of curlies. Was it lexical? Yeah. Scoping? So it's blocks. Blocking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think like for this stuff, there's a uh, the you don't know JS books uh, are like do a really good job of covering all the different scoping options and things like that. But yeah, so like right now we have function scoping, which is with var. And I think it's like between that and this context are like the two confusing things about JavaScript. That I think get people really frustrated when they're first learning. Yeah. Um, and, like, I'm not sure about you, but in my recent applications, I have actually, and this isn't necessarily a hard and fast rule, but I haven't used the word var uh, in quite some time. Uh, I use const for everything, and then in the very, very, very rare case where I need to mutate, I should say, so the difference between let and const is that const can't be um, re, uh, declared? re-declared, re-declared, re-assigned. re-assigned, right. So if you do, like, you know, const foo equals one and then you do foo equals two that'll throw an error um and like so i love those it's kind of amazing when you start using these like what they call immutable data structures uh how much you realize that you don't actually need to mutate those things um and like once in a very very great while i will find myself in a situation where i have to mutate and i'll just use lat for that um i'm not not sure what your experience has been with those things um well certainly i don't use var anymore um but I do find myself using a lot of lets. Uh, sound a little less pure than your coding style. Oh, I mean, <laughs> well, there you go. Something to aspire to. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> and then a big one, I think the only really contentious one that I've heard <laughs> is uh, classes coming uh, in ES6. And... It seems like there's a lot of uh, very dogmatic opinions on both sides of this. So I'm going to try to just kind of walk the line in the middle. Um, I think that classes are really cool because people have just been doing that stuff themselves for ages. Um, You know what I mean? Like trying to find ways to make things look like object-oriented code or whatever. Yeah. I think they're tricky only in that this is like classes are in no way making JavaScript just suddenly an object-oriented language. That's just not true. They're just doing stuff behind the scenes to do prototypal inheritance. Yeah. Um, we call it a syntactic sugar. Yeah. So Anything. no new functionality. I mean, I guess the super is a, a little bit of new functionality. But there's nothing that you couldn't do with prototypal inheritance. You're just... Uh, just now have these nice new yeah. words. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about them? Um, I kind of like them. Um, certainly I use them in my code base uh, for projects I'm working on now. Um, we don't use anything that resembles a class at uh, my employer, uh, but in my side projects, I definitely use it. Um, the pattern I find myself doing is I would um, you know, export a uh, constructor function, you know, set a bunch of properties on the uh, prototype, and then you know, instantiate new ones using the new operator. Mm-hmm. And so you know, knowing that that's what happens behind the scene with classes, I... Yeah, I think it's... it's an just use classes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think they're nice. I do... You know, I guess we'll just see how it plays out. Like, I do worry a little bit about... 
it adding to computer because I think you know a thing that's always confusing for people coming to JavaScript from like you know Java or Ruby or PHP is that they want to do these object oriented things and JavaScript doesn't really do that and even if you start hacking it it can often lead to bugs if you're abstracting stuff away um, so I guess we'll see on that I think they're plenty cool and I, you know like kind of most of all I really just feel like there's a ton of smart people that are working on these specifications yeah. and they seem like the spec seems really good and like I've seen a lot of cool applications like I know the people like at Facebook with React are using classes in some really great ways yep. um, so yeah I think they're totally sweet again like the nice thing about these specs is it's all opt-in right like you don't have to use a feature just because it's there so I think if you're anti-class if you're in that camp go ahead and just not use them exactly um, and I think it's worth mentioning that uh, all the features we've mentioned so far, um, these are all reactionary features um, added in response to uh, CoffeeScript and TypeScript. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a, a really interesting thing to me. So I guess, yeah, like a little bit of back history for those that don't know, like the first big, I guess we call them like transpilers or something like that, that, that came out on the scene was Jeremy Ashkenaz made CoffeeScript. Um, and so CoffeeScript was this like kind of futuristic, kind of Ruby-esque way of writing JavaScript. Um, and so you don't need semicolons, you have classes, you know, all this stuff that we're talking about, these arrow functions, things like that. And a lot of people jumped like fully on board the CoffeeScript train. Like I know um, the Atom editor from GitHub uh, is all in CoffeeScript and a couple other big applications are as well. So you would write this CoffeeScript stuff and it turns into JavaScript and then you would run the JavaScript um, but my question now is like, so CoffeeScript did all this amazing stuff and it paved the way for, uh, what is, you know, now ES6. So now that ES6 is out, does CoffeeScript still have a place in our toolkit or in our, you know, in the landscape? Yeah, I, uh, I personally don't think it's that vital. I think, um, you know, CoffeeScript's existence got, um, ECMAScript to evolve to have these awesome new features um, and now that that's kind of out of the way um, you know, I don't think CoffeeScript really needs to um, continue to exist yeah and then I so that like then kind of begs this question of like what do you do if you have a big CoffeeScript application right now you know like what do you because like in a sense like hats off to you right because you were like a first mover that really helped get some really cool functionality pushed through on the other hand, like, now you find yourself, uh, presumably, on the other side of that, where you're like, oh, now I have the outdated thing that everybody's moving away from. Um, like, do you think, like, if it was you, do you think it'd be worth migrating your CoffeeScript app to ES6? Uh, you know, side projects, yeah, I think I would migrate. Um, however, you know, if I'm using this within a company, um, I'd certainly be must, much less likely to do so. Sure. Um, but, you know, I think CoffeeScript, you know, will continue to be maintained. Um, right now it transpiles to ES5, so certainly it'll start to transpile to ES6. Um, it was a lot of Ruby developers that really liked the Ruby syntax. Yeah. And I think they'll still want to write CoffeeScript. Yeah, I think that's cool. And I think it kind of bring up a good point where ideally, as stuff can kind of be swapped out, maybe it doesn't need to undergo that transpile step. You know what I mean? So if you're using the class keyword, but there's actual classes now... Yeah. Um, Maybe it can just be lighter weight, so it can go faster, and, uh, and exactly. you know, you can still be writing that. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think, like, CoffeeScript was definitely the big one. I mean, like, nowadays there's, like, all sorts of transpilers, right? Like, you can write JavaScript and turn it into Haskell, or write PHP and turn it into Ruby, or, you know, any number of things, but 
for me at least, CoffeeScript was the first one where I was like, oh wow, people are really using this. Like, you know, really important uh, work is being done, you know, yeah. um, using this transpiler. So it's, it's interesting. I think it definitely still has a place. I just, it's just like an interesting kind of back and forth where you see like the transpiler takes lead because it's got everything everyone wants and then the language adopts it too. And then it's like, oh, and, that, and, I, and you know, I think you see that like there's always, every time there's like a new. Um, JavaScript features, there's always, like, this, like, mob that pushes, like, we don't need jQuery anymore, now you're dumb if you're using jQuery, which is, like, you know, a whole nother discussion, um, but I do think that the often, like, the pushback is harder than, you know, than is really fair, like, I think CoffeeScript still definitely has a place, um, and, of course, I think jQuery still has a really strong place as well. Certainly. Um, so maybe moving from that, we can talk about the transpilers of today, like the new the new ones, which I guess the the number one as far as fame and fortune goes is Babel, um, but then in a, like a very similar vein, Google's Tracer. Um, you want to talk about those a little bit? Sure. Um, Babel, which uh, used to be called Six to Five, correct? Yeah, Six to Five. Um, yep, they're a they're the most popular transpiler today. Um, I think they support. Um, maybe all of the new ES6 specification? I think they have everything but symbols. Symbols are like the one thing that you can't do because oh, they're okay. like an actual primitive, a new primitive type uh, yep. coming to JavaScript. But I think like everything else that they have covered. Sweet. Um, yeah, so with Babel, you can you know take your code base, you can compile it, you can get your output code, and then you can run that. Um, or if you're using Node, you, they also have this feature called register where they will um, change the behavior of the require statement. Um, so if you're doing that, you could have a single entry point in your project, um, require Babel, uh, use their register feature, and then you can start requiring ES6 code um, that way. And then all the changes, um, the problem with that is each time you run your application, it has to recompile all the code, and then it will keep it in memory within the process. Yeah, so... I remember I discovered Babel back when it was 6 to 5, um, which was meaning ES6 to ES5. But then, like, as soon as people were like, well, what about going forward with all the new versions? You know, they changed their name. But the big thing that sold me on them at first, which I still think is huge, is that unlike other transpilers, they output readable code, human readable code. That's, like, always been a priority for them. So it's like with CoffeeScript, you would write this really nice CoffeeScript, and then it would dump this, like, gross minified thing that you would never be able to look into or debug or anything like that. Yeah. Um, whereas Babel actually outputs like properly indented, well-named uh, functions and things like that. You know, everything looks really good. So that like drew me to them at first, and I still like that a lot about them. Um, and th But I do have like some, some questions on things. So like, one that I'd love to hear your opinion on is like, so traditionally browsers optimize how users write code. So browsers kind of like see common patterns that users are using and then they try to speed those things up under the hood to make to you know to make your code run faster. So sure. as ES6 now gets pretty widespread adoption, if everybody's using Babel, that means that everyone's only serving ES5 code, even though we're all writing ES6 code. Yeah. So browsers are only rendering and running ES5 code. Uh, what effect do you think that's going to have like on the landscape as far as uh, you know inability to optimize or just like bad data on what people are using? Because it looks yeah. like... Yeah. Well, certainly, um, if we're getting a lot of ES5 code transpiled using Babel... Um, 
uh, yeah, more patterns will start to emerge. You know, this ES5 Babel code will certainly become a pattern that browsers attempt to optimize for. Um, right now, there's browser support directly for ES6 uh, is a bit lacking. Um, I think Chrome and Node are, are doing pretty good. Edge is actually good. I think Edge is, yeah, like leading right now. Yeah, they might te technically be the best. But the thing is, um, you know, as these browser developers work on, you know, Edge with their Chakra engine or um, Chrome with V8, um, you know, these, these virtual machines, um, it takes a long time to build and make them more efficient. Um, and so, like, right now, the ones that do run ES6, like, none of that stuff is going to perform anywhere near as fast as their ES5 equivalents. Um, for example, the new for of statement, um, if you were to just do, like, a for in, you know, it might actually be quicker because they don't have years of experience with this type of loop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess, like, only, my only, uh, I don't know if even worry is, uh, is correct, but, um, you know, I'm, like, wondering a little bit about what the effect is going to be of, like, A, everyone only serving ES5 code still, and then, like, I guess a follow-up to A, not necessarily its own point, but is, like, one thing that Babel doesn't do, um, just by nature, you know, by nature of the way it's built, is that you can't, like, recognize, like, oh, hey, like, Chrome is asking for some JavaScript, uh, can you just give it, you know what I mean, all the oh, stuff yeah. that Chrome supports. Um, so, like, an interesting project to combat that is Kyle Simpson came out with FeatureTests.io. Uh, and so the basic idea with FeatureTests is it's like an API, um, and you would hit it, and it would return to you what ES6 features uh, your current browser supports and which ones it doesn't. Um, and then you have, like, your pure ES6, then you could have your, like, compile down to ES5 code, you call that ES6 stuff, give you the native one, uh, otherwise the ES5 one. So I, I'm, some stuff like that if you're like taking this like hit to figure out what's going on, but I do kind of like the idea behind it where it's... Uh, yeah. Um, uh, that reminds me of a, an issue I kind of have with Babel as well is, um, like I want to be able to say, hey Babel, compile this code, and I know that in production I'm running uh, Node.js 4.1 or IOJS 3.2 and so you know look up every single thing that needs to be polyfilled and things that do not and then you know output um, the simplest file that we possibly can to yeah to yeah I think that's like <clears throat> in general a direction I'd like to see things head in I know that with I've been building a side project with node 4 lately and the ES6 support in node is really fantastic it's mm -hmm. got like almost everything uh, just right out of the box uh, that being said, yeah, I have run into a few things where I'm like, oh, I still need this transpiled, and then it's like, it is very much just like all or nothing, right? Like, you're yeah. either like parsing your entire file down, or you're not parsing anything. Um, and then the other one that I <laughs> that I worry about, I've seen this a few times politically, is so now that you have like this, basically you know, this kind of like one guy leading this open source project, Babel, um, in some ways like has as much control over the way JavaScript works as the entire ECMAScript committee. Mm. Um, so, like, in the sense of, like, we've seen a few arguments where something that, like, a spec that hasn't been finalized yet, something that's coming in, like, ES 2016, um, and they'll go ahead and they'll implement it uh, in Babel, um, you know, just based off of what they think the spec is going to be like. And I worry that, it's been great so far, but I worry that down the line we might see some, like, real, uh, you know, Tensions. And, and we've seen a little bit in the past, right? We saw, like, 
when jQuery just went ahead and shipped their promises API, um, which turned out not to be the <laughs> spec that everybody agreed on. So now there's like two types of promises floating around uh, out there in the wild. So I do worry a little bit about that, like at a political level too, where you know you have like whoever runs the transpiler runs the language kind of like yeah, you know yeah. mentality. But um, I don't know, it's interesting. So I guess uh, if you were to get started with ES6, learning it, using it, uh, I don't know where would you where would you begin? Um, well, uh, certainly there's some books out there on this topic you could look up. Uh, JavaScript Allonge, yeah, by Regenwald, and then uh, Exploring ES6 by Dr. Axel Rauschmeier. I think those are those guys are both. Like, they both have blogs, too, that are really, really excellent and cover things really, really in-depth. Um, did you say Axel Rose? I did not say Axel Rose. <laughs> it's really close. Um, and then also, uh, from those that aren't familiar, the You Don't Know JS series by Kyle Simpson has a whole book devoted to uh, ES6. I'm trying to remember the name now, but it's eluding me. Uh, ES6 and Beyond is what it's called. Um, so that's got a bunch of really, really great stuff in it, too. Um, I also, I don't know if you saw that uh, Mozilla series called ES6 In-Depth um, that yes. they've been doing. It's really great. They're like basically like taking each feature from ES6 and writing a, a post devoted to it. Um, but it's really cool to me because a lot of the authors writing it are the ones that actually implemented the spec on Firefox, which is like a really great oh, cool. perspective to have. So sometimes it'll be like talking about fat arrow functions and then the author will be like yeah I was actually like the first person to implement this in the Firefox <laughs> engine so you know uh, it's kind of a neat perspective to get nice is that on the Mozilla developer network uh, it's on I think yeah their hacks.mozilla.org um, okay. and they have like a bunch of cool posts on there but this one is like a series that you should be able to find ES6 in depth um, and then like lately I've been trying um, he's also done like a really similar thing where he's been like tackling each feature really really in depth great article that's like 350 bullet points that cover like the entire spec basically um, it'll just be like one sentence or something like that um or like one little code block i think that's those cool. are pretty cool and probably like 20 minutes of reading it and have a pretty good idea on uh on where to go of course uh if you're subscribed to that um i'm trying to remember who does it but there's one of the courses on like advanced JavaScript or React.js or anything like that covers a lot of ES. That if you look at a framework like React, which is actually a really, really minimal, simple framework on uh, ES6 um, and on like advanced and modern JavaScript. And so I think that if you like, can be really, really easy to click with you. Um, yeah, I was at a Facebook meetup the other day and they were going over React and everything's in ES6 and you know, you see a lot of people in the audience like, wow, this. React stuff is so crazy. Yeah. You, know, you can type the word class there. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, like the imports and classes and like, um, and I think too, too, it's like, as we kind of enter this world, like we've been touching on a lot, like modern JavaScript development is like kind of growing into a, kind of a beast, you know, where you have like, okay, like you need Node because you need Babel to run all your files. And it's like, okay, yeah. so you're like running everything through Babel. But then it's like you might as well, you know, like at the same time use something like uh, Browserify or like uh, Webpack, right, to get all your resources together and allow like the front end. So then it's like you're basically like, in some ways I feel like, you know, the appeal of the web at first was like this, you know, you can just write it in a file and run it anywhere and it's like so amazing. And I, I do feel like in some ways we're really moving away from that philosophy. Yeah. Um, 
where it's like now you need like all these transpilers and you need a build program and you need it's like it's almost like it might as well be like Windows app development <laughs> or something like that you know where you can't just uh, run the code uh, anymore. Yeah, like as soon as we started doing a lot with AJAX and then security came into play, yeah. you can't read from your file system. You, you suddenly you started needing to have a local web server to serve these files. Yeah, and now it's like between. I think we saw like it started with like Grunt and Gulp. Um, where you would, like, run all these build tasks, and it's like, oh, okay, like, this is kind of cool, I guess, and then, like, now with the transpilers, it's, like, a whole new game where you're, like, you know, it's like you write code in this one area, and then all this stuff happens to it, and it generates this, like, gigantic bundle somewhere else that you didn't even touch or write, and that's what you serve to production traffic, and, like, um, and in order to, like, you know, debug it at all, you need, like, source maps, but those aren't really perfect for a lot of things either. Yeah. Like, I don't know, in some ways, like, I think there's, like, these great benefits, like, the like we're moving really quickly on adoption of the new language, and that's fantastic, but I also, like, I worry a lot of times, like, sometimes I just kind of want to go back to a project where I'm just, like, writing some basic JavaScript, no, no Babel, no Webpack, no, you know, like, just building, like, a nice little minimal JavaScript app. I think those days are gone forever, John. <laughs> they might, they might be, I'm not sure. Um... You know, obviously, there's, like, you still have that option. It's just not what you see in the wild. Like, more and more you see, like, okay, to get started with this, like, you need at least this version of Node, and then you need, like, you know, Vagrant, because you're going to spin up this VM here, and then you need, like, you know, uh, you know, Grunt and Webpack installed locally, and then Browserify, and then you need, you know, to do an NPM install, which takes, like, 15 minutes to grab all these different packages. Yep. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Just kind of makes me feel like I'm doing Java programming sometimes. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely getting more and more complex. Um, heck, you can't even view source on a web page anymore. Know what's going on? Yeah. Um, you know, changing so many things in the DOM. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. to the point where like so much happens after the page load or or not during the page load in any way that like yeah, the view source tab isn't super helpful. Um, yeah. You know, you need, like, the element inspector, and even then it's hard to see, like... Because you can, like, with React, for example, you could be looking at some markup and have no idea where it actually gets generated from because there's no HTML files in your yeah. application. It's all coming from some, like, JSX file somewhere deep in the program. Yeah, um, you can search for the markup. Yeah, that's interesting. But I think the big pro that you get is, like, ES6 was just finalized in, like, June or something like that, and you already see, like, pretty widespread adoption of it. Um, you know, because it's, like, pretty clear people are going to be building with it no matter no matter what and and like it's nice as an individual to be separate like not worry about what the browsers do you know I'm like okay browsers you can take as long as you need uh, I'm gonna go ahead and use Babel and I'm gonna be writing my ES6 code now exactly. and then one day if there's a 100% adoption I'll just rip that Babel stuff out and just start serving you know the yep. code that I wrote so uh, I still have hopes I just sometimes yeah. I feel like you know the nice thing was that JavaScript was so approachable and sometimes I feel like it's losing some of that uh, yeah. as we move forward yeah definitely um, also if you're you know a beginner and you're interested in um, you know, working with Babel right now you can go to the Babel website and they have a live REPL um, where you can actually type ES6 code and it'll transpile to 5 right in front of you uh, you know which is nice it uh, minimizes the barrier to be able to actually write this code definitely and then uh, you can see exactly what's happening yeah I think I probably use the Babel REPL I don't know. It's probably open most of my day these days. Like, it's probably open, like, almost all the time. It's really nice. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, both you can see 
you can get to the normal REPL functionality where you can see like what will console log or you know something like that, but you also get to see like exactly what code they're generating, how it's working behind the scenes, things like that. Um, so yeah, that's really really nice. Um, yeah, so I don't know beginner resources like definitely check out those books are, are a great way to get started, um, and they're they're all available. And the Kyle Simpsons is definitely available for free. The other two are on LeanPub. Uh, I think there might be a free version online, and then you can like kind of pay what you want for. Um, you know, for the actual PDF. So those were JavaScript Alonge and Exploring ES6. Um, and those blogs are great. Also, like, if you have a front-end master's subscription, check out the ES6 course on there. Um, trying to think of anything else that's good. I mean, yeah, like you said, like, either picking, like, Babel or Tracer and just playing around with the REPL is really a nice way to get started. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Then, uh, I don't know, start writing some ES6 code and see how it, see how it works for you, I guess. Yep. Uh, I guess also Node's a great playground. If you just have a Node app and you don't need it on the web, then you don't really need to worry about a lot of that stuff. You can just, uh, you know, like I often open a .js file locally and just run Node against it just to kind of play with things, see how they go. Yeah, same here. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been another episode of the Nebula Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed.